0: apologize in advance for all the noise you can hear in this episode but my menagerie has just been out of control tonight and <laughs> it will make a lot of noise
1: and we are live coming to you from over here in memphis welcome to the one player podcast the show on solitaire Blah. Adav-
0: i think God, it worked wow I think you... Wow, that worked. <laughs> I
1: think you need the flisk and swish there much better.
0: <laughs> oh, he's... Hey, Julius.
1: Hello there. How are you doing, sir?
0: <laughs> All right. I was us just uh, trying my spells, because I know we're talking about the Death Eaters no, no, this time.
1: The Dream Eaters. The Dream Eaters. Close. Very close. The Dream oh. Eaters, sir.
0: Oh, I see. Do you hear the sounds in the background? Oh, most definitely. <laughs> It's my dogs. One dog, one dog is barking because she wants to come to the other side of the house, and so the dog that's over there with her is crying because he doesn't know what's going on because he's deaf now at this point and really old, <laughs> so he just howls.
1: Poor Duke. Poor Duke. Yeah. Uh, okay. He's a poor. It looks
0: Duke. like it stopped. It stopped.
1: So, anyway. So, yes, we're talking about Arkham Horror. We are talking about Arkham Horror. We're going to be talking about Arkham Horror today, and we're going to be talking all about the Dream Eaters, which is the most recently completed campaign that was finished for the Arkham Horror the Living Card game. Um, This is a game that I spend probably a disproportionate amount of time with in comparison to any other game in my collection. Um, So, I'm going to take the opportunity to talk about it a bit, because otherwise... You know, why am I playing it after all? Or at least when you're producing content, that feels the way it
0: is. (laughs) That sounds fair enough. And so to remind our audience, we've already talked about the game in the past. And if they're curious, they could listen to the old episode, which is what number, Julius? I've
1: actually talked about it multiple times because I think we've skipped over one or two. But I know that we talked about when it came out. And then we talked about it for both Carcosa and for the Dunblitch Legacy Um, we did a full review of both of those. In both of those cases, though, we spent a full hour going through and talking about our general thoughts about the scenarios and things like that. Because I think we've kind of switched our format to be a little bit tighter and shorter of episode length, Um, and especially since the Dream Eaters comes in two half scenarios, I think that we are only going to be talking about one of the two campaigns, and we will talk about the other one on a future occasion.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. And I was hoping you were going to take the bait and tell us which episodes it was, because I don't remember, but I've looked it up. It was 132 was the first time we talked about the full game. So if you want to familiarize yourself with it, listen to episode 132. 149, we talked about the Path to Carcosa.
1: Which does mean that I'm not actually going to be spending a lot of time talking about it in specific about how the how the game is played, other than then it's a... Um, living card games there's expansions that are released theoretically every month um, but especially because of all of the coronavirus quarantine and everything happening they've skipped a couple and even then it's not exactly every month but a new one comes out every month and the most recent one that has finished coming out is the dream eaters campaign so you have player cards and scenario cards and you build a deck using the player cards and take it up against the scenario and see how you do Albert, I believe that you have mm-hmm. some familiarity with the game as well. That is correct?
0: I do. I've played it a few times. Not too much. Have you No, nowhere near as much. As uh, yes, I'm
1: pretty <laughs> sure of that. Uh have you played any of the Dream Eaters? Nope. So I've
0: played the the first campaign only, actually. So
1: then you're going to be listing on with rapt attention in that case
0: Mm hmm, I am. And, you know, I've always thought the Dreamlands are interesting, so I want to know more about the Dreamlands.
1: So, the general idea of what's going on in the Dream Eaters is that there are two groups. One group is going to sleep and intending to go explore the dreamlands and come back with evidence and proof that the dreamlands actually exist the other group is hanging out and watching the people going to sleep to make sure that nothing happens to them and nothing spooky occurs lo and behold something spooky occurs the group (laughs) that is sleeping gets stuck in the dreamland and the group that is waking starts getting attacked by a bunch of spiders oh
0: okay (sighs) And that's the introduction to the game. And that
1: is the introduction to this campaign. Each one gets its own. To the campaign. That is the introduction to this campaign. For today, we are going to be following along with our waking group because, for the most part, they're really two very separate stories and they don't really reinteract again much.
0: So that means everybody has two characters to play with, depending on which. Theoretically, place you're you
1: can play both of these campaigns separate, or you can play them as two separate campaigns. In the past, each of the campaigns has been eight scenarios long; three of them coming in the box, and then six coming out afterwards. Um, nine mm-hmm. scenarios long. Excuse me. Uh, eight scenarios long. Scratch that. But with this one they've split it up so that it's two, four scenario-long campaigns. You can play them together by taking one deck through one and one deck through the other, or you could just play one campaign all by itself. So the story was completely coherent, even hmm. if you're just listening to one half of the campaign. And in all honesty, oh, that's cool. in my opinion, I'm almost always going to be playing it as two separate, four scenario campaigns because I think that Overall, I feel it's a better experience that way than trying to do is too inter- uh, too mixed. Um, a couple reasons why I feel that is. The first reason is, and I'll get more into this later, but I'm not such a fan of the story in general of this, of this campaign you're having two different stories and both of them are touching in or actually venturing down into the dreamlands and especially once they venture into the dreamlands, like the stories could be interchanged and swapped. Like this group is in the Dreamlands and it does Dreamlandsy type stuff. But it doesn't really so much advance its own stories more that they're just doing something Dreamlandsy. It doesn't really it doesn't really focus forward enough on how it is that they're achieving their own personal objectives and doing dreamlandy type things to a degree. So because that the two stories, once they get into the dreamlands, don't feel separate enough that I can enjoy them all together as one. They start to blend together, which detracts from the individual stories themselves. The second issue I have with it is that if you're playing through two decks, it's sort of harder to keep track in your own mind of where the two decks were excelling, things like that. So for example,
0: mm-hmm. if
1: you, over the course of various scenarios, you have the ability to upgrade decks by spending XP to remove cards and put in higher XP cards, better cards. But if you're playing two decks, you may not remember from one scenario to the next, like, oh, I, this deck is having a particular issue, this card is not necessary so much, I want to make sure like, not to play it or not to use it or to focus somewhere else with things. If you just had to use another deck, like you're alternating between the two decks, it's harder to keep track of that all um while granted i do play multiple campaigns and not just one campaign this just adds more to it because i I, you know it's the same group of people it's the same sort of sit down that you're doing and it just sort of like helps it it makes all the memories blend together and it's just harder for my poor old brain to be able to keep track of all that (laughs) so Mm -hmm. yeah and then the the Uh, game interactions between the two campaigns just don't have a very good payoff in my opinion Um, The only game interaction between the two campaigns is that there's this black cat character that jumps between the two of them, and when you're playing as a connected campaign, you have the ability to choose which group you want the black cat to help out with, and that just changes two tokens in the bag for each campaign, which either the black cat helps out on one side or there's a bad thing that happens in the other and you could even choose like to totally forgo that and not even have that interaction. And that's actually the only way you can get to the super boss at the end of one of the campaigns. And I'd get to that later. But it's such a minimal interaction between the two. There's not a whole lot that happens between them. So not all of that together, the issues that come up with it versus the very minimal payoff for doing it, means for me that I, I just don't feel like I need to do the four mixed the, the, the mixed campaign version ever again.
0: Mm-hmm, gotcha. And how is it packaged? I mean, do you – are you getting a little bit from each campaign each time you buy the – well, no, I guess the starter boxes right. it have so, both campaigns. So the one? way
1: it works is that you get the first box, um, the deluxe expansion, which comes with two campaigns in it. And so it's one campaign from one – excuse me. It comes with two scenarios. With this one, it's one scenario for each campaign, and then they alternated which scenario was getting a campaign release, campaign release for the rest of the cycle. Okay, so that's how that worked. Got it. So all that being said, I think that we're ready to start with the first scenario in this one. So waking nightmares. This one, um, and in waking nightmare, we discuss we're going to be going through the waking group that was left behind to watch the sleepers sleep. While these sleepers were sleeping, there suddenly were spiders that started to come out of everywhere. And they're making these creepy webs everywhere, and you go off to investigate, and you meet with a guy, Randolph Carter, who is a reoccurring character mm-hmm. in both scenarios. Uh, in both campaigns, rather. Mm-hmm. There's a Randolph Carter in both groups. And in a
0: few of the stories. And in
1: a few of the stories, yes. But he appears in both of the groups, both of the campaigns. But in this one, so Randolph Carter comes in and says, hey, there's an issue going on, and the uh, the bad guy, um, at, at, I say it in Hebrew when I'm doing it because it's atlach nacha, um, is how you pronounce that ch commonly in Hebrew when it's transliterated. So I keep it oh. that way, even though I'm almost certain that's not how you're pro- meant to pronounce it. Because let's just say <laughs> I don't. I mean, these are
0: supposed to be unpronounceable anyway. So who who can really say what? No idea. What was intended. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't. I, l- meant to be I like your pronunciation
1: anyway. anyway atlach nacha um was is is this spidery old one and he's trying to constantly build this spider web bridge between the two worlds between the waking world and the and the dreaming world dreamlands and randolph carter informs you that he's that atlach naha is creating a bridge between the two worlds and that's what's causing all the creepiness in the hospital and it's your job to cure the infection so the new type of thing in every scenario i've found there's always one type of gimmick that's involved in that scenario this one for the the gimmick is Mm -hmm. the infestation bag so normally throughout the course of the game you'll have a chaos bag and you're pulling tokens sort of like rolling a die to see how well you did there's also an infestation bag where you'd be pulling out a token to see whether or not an infestation happens and if enough infestation happens in the if enough outbreaks essentially happen in the hospital so then you'll lose the campaign and you'll constantly be doing these infestations, and so it's sort of like an extra chaos bag that the scenario is using to randomize how much bad stuff is happening in a scenario. Um, I really do like the chaos bags, the the use of the chaos tokens for the infestation. It's on the one hand, it's extremely easy to do. There's no complicated like lookup table or like roll 2d6 and calculate this. Mm-hmm. It's very simple, and you c- can pull out a token, have it set aside to not do anything, or you can throw in other tokens or modify what it is the tokens do based on mythos cards. But for a gimmick, it adds an extra level of tension by giving you more than just the usual hey, there's a doom meter filling up, <laughs> finish your stuff before the doom meter. <laughs> so it's a different sort of end game timer, which it was a it was not one that's overly complicated, while still adding a lot of fun and challenge to be able to get through it quicker. I can definitely see how in a return or in something different, I, I mean, I could see something like this done similar for other campaigns and still be fun, just by simply mixing up the sort of stuff that it would do. But for this one, I really think that it was a fun gimmick. I think it was an interesting thing to do. You with me so far? Nice. Albert? Okay. Yep, I'm with you. So another couple of thoughts for the scenario. In this one, it's really all about those spiders that you see everywhere. And that's the main thing that's coming at you. I definitely thought that the art and much of the scenario really drew towards it. Um, for example, at one point in time, you're going to have suspicious orderlies that are going to be following around like, Hey, why are you guys doing weird stuff? And at one point in time, the <laughs> infestation will get worse and the orderlies will be revealed to have spiders growing out of their mouths which is oh horrific nice. Um uh, i think that uh-huh i think that was probably the 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 biggest switch and if you haven't played the scenario before like as a gm that's always a fun thing to sort of do to the players Is like oh hey these guys are these guys are really not the best thing <laughs> to have on you they're kind of bad surprise yeah surprise <laughs> um and that the I think that the art and the feeling of it was adequately done. In terms of some of the strategy for it, I mentioned how there's infestations, this corruption that's breaking through the hospital. In order to succeed mm-hmm. before the infestation overruns the hospital, you have to cure it. So you have to go to a location, do a test or spend some clues, and then you're able to flip over a token from being infected to being cured. And when it's infected, they're they're stamped in tokens. There's no special tokens that they use for this, so you just use a horror token to reflect that it's infected and a damage token to reflect that it's cured. While a special token would have been nice to include, these aren't the sort of things that they include in this game. You have to use whatever standard tokens you can get. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, for Lord of the Rings, I went and found some extra tokens, generic tokens, that I keep with the game, because it always has stuff like this. Every few scenarios you need some special tokens. Yeah. I, I think so has got something that stands my out. My
1: usual response to that is I print my own tokens, <laughs> which oh, is what I've well, done for well, many yeah. other ones, is I make my own type stuff and print them on Game Crafters. And I will probably do that too, if I can come up for what I think are suitable tokens for this kind of campaign, for this kind of issue. But I haven't really thought of what it would be yet. Anyway, set that aside. Mm-hmm. um okay the idea of what we're talking about so with so these tokens are constantly coming out i think that the scenario has a fun aspect to it that adds the strategy because due to the way the map is laid out there's a hallway that is essentially a choke point for the infestation and if you're able to block off that choke point then you're having a much better handle on the scenario. But if you miss that choke point and things start to spread down that choke point, then you're going to have a much harder time completing the scenario. So in general, I felt that this is the first time I can really remember that there is that sort of choke point, mostly because there's never been this idea of infection spreading like this. So because it has that choke point, it's very much, Oh, we've, Once you've learned the strategy of it, you very much feel like, oh, I've got to hit that. I've got to move forward and I've got to do it. And even once Mm -hmm. if you miss it with many other scenarios, if you miss the choke point, if you if you miss where your salvation is, you're pretty well doomed in just a second because you're going to die to horror damage, whatever it is. But this one, it's still something that's recoverable, but it's a mini goal along the way. And again, I thought that was a nice touch to be adding to the scenario.
0: I do like the tactical aspect of the map in this game Mm -hmm. in general. It's really neat.
1: I believe that covers it for the Waking Nightmare scenario. We are now going to be jumping to the next scenario. So, Albert, the next scenario is A Thousand Shapes of Horror. So in A Thousand Shapes of Horror, you've been told that you need to get down to the Dreamlands to save the world help your friends clarity doesn't necessarily help but your friends are stuck in the dreamlands and you have even worse that's going on because the weavers trying to connect them and get down to the dreamlands not really the clearest to me quite why but <laughs> get down to the dreamlands so in order the weavers is that the spiders that's this that's Allah okay. okay Um, so in order to do that you have to go get a metaphorical key to the dreamlands um, which in this particular instance actually takes on the form of a key <laughs> mm, a silver a key a silver key in order to do that you go have, you have to go to a haunted horror a haunted house and fight with the unnameable and the unnameable is a big boss that is going to be running around chasing you through this haunted house as you try and get clues and find a way to get downstairs once you get downstairs, so you you've built up this whole house, you've explored the whole house. Once you get upstairs, you essentially move into Act Two of the scenario. And Act Two of the scenario was trying to go down the stairs. There's a set of mysterious stairs, and you're going to make five of them randomly picked from the from the ones that are available. And you're trying to constantly get down the stairs, and there's a couple mythos cards that can actually cause the stairs to never end. And you'll have to take the bottom, you have to take the top stair and move it down to the bottom, which means that your stairs gets one step longer. But you're constantly having to move <laughs> down, and each stair has some issue that's preventing you from moving down, whether it be a monster or it be clues or whatever have you. And if you can get all the way down to the bottom of the stairs, then you'll win this scenario. Sounds simple it does sound simple i think that that probably gives it a positive thing is because it is simple the first one is you understand what you're doing there's an enableable. you're trying to sneak around run around hide from it until you can pick up enough clues to figure out how to open up the door and then after that it's just a gruel to make sure you get down there and have to deal with everything the scenario throws in your way all of that does sound like a good thing this is one of the ones that already starts to feel like we are encroaching on much longer than past scenarios. Um, this is especially apparent because we actually just went and were doing a Return to the Dunwich Legacy campaign at the same time as we were doing a campaign for the Dream Eaters. These scenarios start to be probably <laughs> close to twice as long for us for us to complete as the Dunwich Legacy ones, ah, okay. And in large part, it's because of this idea that I just said, it's in two acts. First, you have the whole haunted house and then you have the whole haunted stairs. I'm not going to complain actually about the fact that it's twice as long. I'm just going to point out that it's twice as long. So be prepared for (laughs) it because even though it's twice as yeah,
0: the times I've, the times I've played the game is a couple hours. So this is sounds like a four-hour scenario. It's not
1: quite a four-hour scenario. It takes us about an hour and a half to do like a Dunwich Legacy one. And it took us like three hours to do this one, even that's after a couple times doing that. So it, it okay. just starts to take a bit longer. I'm not actually going to complain about that because I do like the fact that they're getting a little bit longer. There's a little bit more buttons and dials and levers to mess with, and it, it is fun having the two things. Especially this one, because that idea of the big unnameable horror chasing after you, it's not something that is impossible to deal with. It's not frustrating to deal with. But on the other hand, it does have that sense of looming doom that is maintained throughout the course of the whole scenario that continues to add to the fun of the scenario. It is fun having to deal with it and run around with it and plan for it strategically. If you've listened to me, any think games that reward you for thinking smart are the type of games that I like. This one does. If you can mm-hmm. come up with a good plan of dealing with the unnamable, then you'll have a much easier time being able to do it. And the scenario gives you a couple ways of dealing with the unnamable because there's the four objectives that you can do and each one of them will essentially weaken the unnamable so you can sneak by it and actually be able to get down into the stairways. So all that together, that makes for a pretty fun scenario. I did enjoy it. And and so
0: that's the second part. You've now found your silver key.
1: Yes. So the silver key is now the gate to the dreamlands. I think I've discussed over the course of it, just making sure we have discussed the gimmick, but I specifically want to call out to it as the gimmick. Is that unnameable being one of them? That idea of the big bad guy that is chasing you through it and even though we've had that idea of as a gimmick before i still think that that is essentially the gimmick here in addition to the mysterious stairs being that forever not ending stairs i think is also a gimmick but it's perhaps one that wouldn't be advertised as because i feel like it's more of a surprise when that happens but i did specifically want to call it those gimmicks the next scenario that we have is point of no return Point of no return is, again, one that I feel like could theoretically have occurred, happened to either group. You're in the dreamlands, it's not a very nice place, and you're stuck with a bunch of ghouls, a bunch of bad guys, having all sorts of fun. Your whole goal here is you're just trying to get deeper and deeper into the dreamlands. I, I feel like the gimmick's a little bit weaker, but there's an alert that's going off at this point in time they're on to you and i was mentioning there's sort of an alert that's going off and that's kind of what the scenario is and the reason why i continue to mention that it's just so interchangeable between the other one is because there's another scenario that's happening to the other group also about having alert go off and it's also the penultimate one just for them it's called actual alert with this one you, you track it differently that one you're tracking with doom this time you're tracking it with damage and uh, damage on the card and so it's it's interchangeable and that really bothered me because that this this one the penultimate ones just started to really hurt the story and that bothered me it bothered me a lot that they are especially because i don't feel like this one had a particularly good gimmick when it's being repeated between two scenarios the gimmick of alert is repeated between this one and the similar penultimate scenario of the sleeping guys. But the idea is is that you're trying to sneak around the, the ghouls and the gugs and get down through them so that you can mm. keep going deeper and deeper and deeper throughout the, the point of no return. And if you can continue to get deeper, you can get through the underworld and sneak down into the Sea of Pitch until you can clear out all the locations in the Sea of Pitch. And if you manage to clear it all away, then you win
0: <laughs> okay that's essentially what I think I saw pictures of the Gugs they're pretty cool looking
1: they are cool looking I don't disagree with you I think that often for much of this this game the art has been stunning and been a class act and I don't think this one <laughs> has any fault to it it's just a matter that there's not really a strong gimmick for this one there's not really a strong story for this one it's much more forgettable and I feel like it's really to the detriment of this particular scenario there's not any real draw for a return to it. There, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there are a couple. There are a couple interesting things that are involved in it. For example, there's a dehole the enemy which is not quite as big a bad as like an enable or something else, but it's an enemy that can keep popping up. I did feel that that is something memorable. About the scenario because the hole is a big monster and can't be put in the victory pile, but there's other hole tunnels that you can randomly draw that make it come up. But I do feel okay. the fact that I'm moving towards like a single enemy that isn't isn't part of the story, isn't part of the big bad of the game, and I'm talking about that as being sort of like almost a gimmick of the story just feels to me like I'm already deluding... D- diluting or the scenario's already diluted enough that it doesn't have a strong focus. If you're also a fan of this, excited some other people of our group. If you're a fan more of the mythos and how things work in general, you do have the ability in this scenario to make a ghoul friend. Uh, Richard... Oh, really? Yes, Richard Upton Pickman is a ghoul with a top hat. Mm and if you manage to pick him up on your side you can use him to start gathering ghouls into a big gang that will hang around and beat up the other bad guys um oh, yeah
0: that's like the stories too
1: I, i'm sure it's like the stories again I'm, I'm not as familiar with them but yes this was more interesting to some other members of our group i thought it was interesting mechanically because we haven't really seen anything quite work like that um It's neat it's neat that you have this that you're able to essentially convert enemies to be your own allies that was a fun thing to do over the course of the scenario
0: Mm -hmm. in the story it's the same sort of thing when when that happens it was kind of a surprise like wow the the ghouls are helping me Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's unusual so so i like that it has the same feel in the game as in the in the novels Mm -hmm. i forget which book this is is it the the silver key maybe I i forget one of the stories This really makes me want to play the game and hearing how, how well it ties along with the
1: story. It definitely does. I know that everyone involved in the Arkham Horror has tried to really maintain a focus on making sure the mythos feels like it's coming to life. They spend a lot of time talking about the novellas, things like that, so that you can bring together a strong story. And I know that Matt, Matt specifically now is self-publishing his own novels like he's he's trying to build a strong story and understand where they're coming from and i certainly think that they do manage to tell a story i just don't think that this is necessarily the strongest chapter in the book Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. let me move on to what i believe is a potentially stronger chapter of the book which is the final boss battle with the weaver of cosmos and the weaver of cosmos is the boss of this of this campaign in um, the Weaver of Cosmos, at this point in time, the the bad guy who was the bad guy all along, and I won't necessarily ruin that spoiler yet, but the bad guy who was the bad guy all along <laughs> um, betrays you and sticks you down into a pit with Anlachnacha, who is just ignoring you and trying to build a bridge, a bridge of webs. And as she can unite Dreamlands and Waking World, everything goes everything goes bad and bad stuff happens hmm. <laughs> this is just basically a boss scenario you have to make your way across the webs and at that point in time the whole scenario changes into be a circle with one big enemy composed of five cards that are laid out together that you'll rotate around at random based on a token draw at the beginning of it so that it's only touching some of the, the locations whichever ones it's touching are the locations that it can be reached at and so your goal is to run around and hit its legs if you can go and knock off its legs at one point in time it will flip over and you'll then be able to beat it for the most part it's just spinning around at random it's not doing a whole lot to you unless you happen to be there with it But all the locations have all sorts of difficulties involved with them, like it causes extra doom or brings over more spider monsters or all sorts of different things for the locations. So you're having to both deal with the locations potentially causing you trouble while at the same time having to somehow manage to get damage on the boss. Now, each of the legs of the spider is only equal to three times the number of investigator's health. So that's 12 health in a four-player game. Um, Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's 12 health in a a four-player game, which, you know, once you're at the last scenario of the game, is within the realm of something you can do over the course of one turn if it's shown up. So it's not impossible to just go through and defeat them. Some of the challenge, though, is getting to the right place, trying to get to not spin, things like that. When there's four of them, you know, it's on half the location, so it's much easier. When you have to play whack-a-mole with the last one that just keeps spinning out of your way, it's a little bit more difficult. Uh,
0: sounds like it might even be a little tedious.
1: Um, it's not so much tedious because there are ways of solving it. You There are locations that can jump between the two, and the... Game does help you out by giving you a couple ways of spending clues to do extra damages. So when you have four players, you can spread out to a certain degree, so that you can have everyone help out. Okay. So I mean, everyone at one point in time, you can somehow like load into clue cannon. That's what we called it. But if you (laughs) spend a clue, you just can deal three damage to a leg. Um, and i'm not quite sure what the logic of that is but we just call it the clue cannon so we we loaded the clue cannon every time. <laughs> i liked it.
0: That. that's funny
1: so <laughs> it's not tedious it just requires planning and strategy which is fun having yeah. to deal yep. with that big boss i like <laughs> more the tedious bit was having to spin it because it's four cards laid next to each other which can be annoying to spin it and not mess things up, knock the board, things like that. I really wish, and as soon as the, if the artist posts a copy of the art from it, I'm probably going to print it off in a chipboard puzzle piece type thing and use that instead to be able to spin it all much easier because then it'll all be connected. But I just feel like there's there must be some better way to be able to spin it because constantly I'm like, Spreading my hands as wide as they can go to be able to spin it all the way around, and that's that. That was the more annoying part, but I feel like the payoff is definitely there because, in terms of a gimmick, this type of boss battle was a lot of fun. It really felt like a boss battle. It's a,
0: it does. It sounds like a like a video game mm-hmm. boss. Battle. It's a massive
1: it enemy at this point in time. It's not like. You know, thought in previous times, it was just one enemy who's just sort of just sitting there, like he's just the he's he's just a really big enemy. <laughs> this one felt like a massive undertaking. It really felt like the boss battle music is going on in the background, and you're having to do all these wild <laughs> things to hit the weak point when you can, and it feels like a massive boss battle at the end of the game. And it feels like it was really well presented, which means that I really did like that scenario a lot because of that feeling of having to fight. Okay.
0: And this one was called the weaver of the cosmos. This one is called the weaver of cosmos. Yes. Okay. Okay.
1: One of the, the one issue I do have with it though, is that although we've talked a whole lot about them having to deal with spiders, Honestly, if you would have swapped which group went to which, like if suddenly one of them would have fallen to the dreamlands, I mean, mm-hmm. one group could have been helping the other, like the waking people could have also wanted the Weaver of the Cosmos. Because these things are sort of like global chaos type thing, the sleeping people also want to stop this, and the sleeping people are also stuck because mm-hmm. of the Allah taking over the world. Again, it doesn't really feel... Like it's directly a payoff with the original one, I guess. I guess really that's an issue because it's two scenarios done together where both of them are exploring the Dreamlands and both of them are con- interconnected. The stories just become interconnected so much that at one point in time, like it, there's not enough to really divide them. So even mm-hmm. though the original guys started with spiders and now oh here we have the big spider, I mean, I don't. Know. That's just story issues. I just feel like the story could have been a lot tighter and didn't manage to do it for me. Mm hmm. Okay. But the scenario is a lot of fun to play. <laughs> and I think it that all of those like issues it. would really drop away as long as you're playing it in a four-campaign, in a four-scenario campaign.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I thought that you, you were going to tell me that if you played a four-scenario campaign, it was also going to be quicker, but it sounds like it's basically. The same as a regular campaign in that case, um, because they're long scenarios.
1: Yeah, but I don't think they're quite twice as long. But no, okay. I mean, that depends. I mean, it's certainly longer to play the eight campaign version of the Dream Eaters than to play the four scenario version of the Dream Eaters. Well, yeah. So it's certainly shorter that way. Past that, I don't know. Ask somebody else that question.
0: Okay, but before the the half a Dream Eater versus
1: half half a dream uh... meter is certainly shorter than a full dream meter
0: how about shorter than a dunwich are
1: in terms of raw time spent Mm mm-hmm. still shorter i think
0: maybe okay so not very much it sounds
1: not much okay probably i'd say it's it's not half the time of a dunwich legacy it's probably like two thirds to three quarters okay also depends on the group you're playing with like scenario types like there are definitely some like if you're playing with a mystic or survivor i found that they go a lot faster than rogue seeker guardian
0: and so so that is the, the that is uh, the
1: dream eaters the waking scenario the waking side which does have a specific and
0: one. then next next time we'll talk about the dreamlands
1: probably not gonna be next week but at one point in time No,
0: that's a, okay so let me ask you a couple questions surely um more general not specifically about the scenario so let's say a person like me that hasn't played too much and and I have a couple of the early scenarios and nothing else. And now this one comes along and I say, Oh, I really like these stories, I wanna get these Is do you think jumping in straight to this one, say from the big from the first box set works well, or do you think it yeah, It'd I be think, more difficult. I
1: think that's fine. I think that because, as with much of the snare of the game, the difficulty level can be tailored. You can play on either easy, oh, yeah. normal, hard, or expert. I think that if you're jumping in without all the other cards, you'll want to play on easier, and you'll also want to understand some of the basic ideas for it. So, yeah, I certainly don't think that there's going to be any issues jumping in that way. Mm-hmm, gotcha. Okay. Okay.
0: And uh, another question: Do these cards? do they rate the scenario difficulties? Lord no, of the they Rings do will not. do
1: that. Okay, they do not, um, and I don't think I have a rating ability for it because again, it really depends a lot.
0: Yeah, it's hard to rate them because they're different. They're so different. You know? It's
1: also fail forward, so succeeding in the campaign That's is only really technically the very end. But it's also based on how much XP you have over the whole course of it, which really depends on your decks. Just some decks are better with than other decks. Right.
0: And even if you fail in the end and, and lose the campaign and the world is destroyed, it's still you still got a story that was fun in the you end and that was yeah. unique.
1: So no, I don't really think. I mean, I'm they do sorry rate all, the all that Level, and I'm not sure that they could. Well, yeah, that makes sense.
0: They do in the Lord of the Rings, and it doesn't always work out well. Sometimes they've rated it, and it turns out that it's really. Easy for single player and hard for multiple players, or vice versa, mm-hmm. and so the rankings don't always make sense. Mm-hmm. Um. So, uh, how about one more question? So they got a couple uh, investigator decks coming out soon.
1: Yes, the starting ones. Those look
0: like okay. a lot of fun. Do they? All right, so I guess those are more basic.
1: No, they're, they're probably not so even that they're basic. They're not as that a, basic. Uh, the idea of what those are—they're intended to sort of be. An entry point for someone who wants to play with somebody else who already has all this stuff because at this one time if you are starting to get into it Mm -hmm. you're going to become potentially overwhelmed with all the cards that's one reason why when i tell people i say (laughs) like open up one pack at a time as you're doing things if you're buying them all only open up one pack at a time and use a house rule which i always recommend that any cards you just opened up in the pack um, can be swapped in for no extra XP cost over what it is that they, what they're what they leveled at. And that means that you always have the ability to continue analyzing new cards that come in without feeling overwhelmed by a huge card pool. The idea of the mm-hmm. starter decks makes it that same idea, but on an ownership level, because you can just buy a single starter deck, which comes to the deck and some XP cards for you to continue to do it, so that you have a deck pre-made, something you can use and go into a scenario with, it doesn't come with anything else to play against, though, so it's not good for solo people, I don't think, because you'll still need to y- buy. You need more content, right? You'll you'll need to buy yeah. all the scenario stuff. So I'm not sort mm-hmm. of. They're good, good if right. you're
0: gonna go play like with a group, right? And and you don't want to also buy everything, but you want to have your own character.
1: And even then, like I'm not sure I really agree with that because I feel like it's usually better to pitch in and share a whole collection with whoever is picking up all the things. Mm-hmm. that's okay. that's my general idea like I don't really understand the marketing. I feel like it's more marketed as ooh here's a brand new cool product and it's a scenario it's it's a bunch more player cards is the way I look at it and the player cards are they're not simpler than other ones. The only simpler part is the characters that the characters are all now mono decks and have generally simpler to understand abilities. I think the characters are the only nah. one that's simpler but the rest of the cards, and all the packs are the same level of complexity, usefulness, and and ability, I guess. Value? Value is mm-hmm. a good word. The same level of value as any other card in the current pool right now. So, uh, like, I'm very happy that they're coming out. I think they're very interesting because it's a whole bunch of new player cards for us to get. And they're theoretically coming out later this month. Right. But, and a
0: couple new characters. But I
1: definitely don't recommend it for most people. That's the honest truth. What I recommend for people is don't buy the game. Just snore off of someone else's collection. <laughs> Go play with somebody else. Like, <laughs> if you were to tell me, hey, I want to play with you, like, let me come play with you. Sure, don't buy anything. Just come play. You know, that's that's my opinion.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I agree. Um, if you start getting into it, then it might make sense to, to buy the base game. It may be one of these, or, or, or better yet. The base game in one of the exp- one of the campaigns because that brings a few more characters. If
1: you will, if you want to play, if you yep. want to play the scenarios by yourself or with someone else, yeah, you'll need to start buying scenarios and cards. If you mm-hmm. just want to play with that person, in all honesty, why even bother? There's plenty in the collection to be <laughs> able to share. You can deck build online. Cards, yeah. You can deck build there. Just use their cards. Like, why? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay, now I know we're running long, but I'm going to ask one more question. Surely. How, now that you've had this game for a while, how's the deck building in it? I think, I, I've always thought it's weird, because it, I know it's technically a deck building game, but it doesn't feel like a deck building game, and you're very limited in, in how you could build decks, because you got to trade in cards and trade them out. Does... To- Does deck building feel like deck building in this game, I guess? To be clear, I'm pretty
1: sure that the term is deck construction because you are preparing a deck in advance of the game, not during the game. Deck building is during play. Deck building is during the game. Um, The card pool is still sufficiently advanced that I feel like there's plenty of options. Um, At this point in time, I feel like more of the issue is sometimes that there's just cards that are outliers that are too powerful to use or (laughs) too... bad to ever use. Um, so those become binder fodder in either direction. I either don't ever want to use them because they're just way too powerful and skew a whole deck or they're way too bad. Yep. And I never ever want to put them in the game. And so those is just like wasted space and wasted weight in my box. But they keep coming out with new options for cards, new twists on some of the dynamics, new mechanics so like they just a myriad and bonded, which is a new type of um, card where you get one card in your deck but it can periodically summon other cards from your collection to either go into your deck or go into play, <laughs> which do all sorts of crazy things. And I I really That's like Bonded. I want to see many more Bonded cards come out because it's such an interesting thing to continue to work with. So they keep adding in new, yeah. new, unique things to the cards, which is a lot of fun, and still continues to help with deck construction. I don't really think I ever had an issue with deck construction because although you're limited in what you can do, as with any sort of designing... The best sort of designs that you make come when you have a constraint. If I would give you all, whatever it is, six, seven hundred cards that they have right now, that's overwhelming. If I say, no, you just get the level zeros and just these level zeros, it's much easier to be able to build a deck and start thinking about what to do with that than if you have a whole bunch of things you can do. And they continue to make mm-hmm. different and interesting things. So, I, yeah, I still think that it's a lot of fun. And I think that's probably evidenced by the amount of time that I spend with the game. <laughs> Which is hours and hours. Do you play every weekend? I play at least once
0: every weekend. <laughs> at least once every week. Okay, yeah. So you like the game kind I of. Do,
1: I do like the game kind of. <laughs> As mentioned, I play at least once every weekend because I know I'm playing at least once with family. Um, usually I'm also playing another time of the course of the week solo. Gotcha, okay. Wow. I wish you logged your plays. I'd be curious to know how many times you've played. Uh, the problem is is that I know that I can't log my plays when I play solo right. on Friday nights. So right, because right. of that, I never bother to log the rest of the plays.
0: Well, neat. I do look forward to hearing more about it uh, the next time we talk about Arkham Horror and out the rest of this campaign. I'm really looking forward, actually, to the next uh, set coming out, Innsmouth. That That's by far my favorite Lovecraft story. <laughs> and so that'd be fun to play through.
1: Indeed, I'm looking
0: forward to that one coming I may up. get it.
1: I do like the new Bless and Curse tokens that they're bringing out in that one, too. Oh, I haven't seen that. Okay, I haven't looked at anything. Into it. They're coming up with new tokens, which is a new player card mechanic, um, where some of the cards will put in Bless tokens, which are these one-shot tokens that go in the Chaos bag that give you a plus two and redraw, and some that are Curse and give you a minus two and redraw. But sometimes, you know, there's a powerful effect you get if you Curse your bag, or it might be something that bad Mm -hmm. that happened to you, which causes your bag to be cursed. But that's a fun thing to keep adding to the game. I haven't yet played any of the preview versions of it. I haven't pre-made anything like that. So I don't know in practice how much it actually makes a difference having to continue messing with the bag. So I will reserve any of my comments for, you know, like six months from now. Okay. Sounds good. But I'm sure everyone will hear from us much sooner than that. (laughs) <laughs>
0: Absolutely, we'll be back next week with a different game.
1: Alrighty, have a good night, everybody. Bye, bye.
0: All right, bye.
1: Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG, and Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractalude on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number 1, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus and can be found at gemendo.com. The transition music is copied by Dan Elduche-Pancaldi, whose page is at donpancaldi.com. The one-player podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening.